Hello, and welcome back to the podcast where I sit down with women that are in our network. I chat with women that are leading the charge in their industry and have inspiring conversations that uncover how each guest has navigated their career. In today's episode, I'm joined by Ashley Freeborn. Ashley is the founder and CEO of Smash and Tess, a Vancouver-designed and North American-made slow fashion company. Home of the romper revolution, Smash and Tess is known for its signature romper and casual everywhere, with sizes that run from double extra small petite to a triple XL. The inclusive collections complement every lifestyle, occasion, and body. The brand's most recent collaboration with Hilary Duff was an incredible success, selling out in the same morning it went live. The brand has also been seen on celebrity favorites like Kate Hudson, Gabrielle Union, Jenna Dewan, and so many more. In today's episode, Ashley and I sit down to talk about Smash and Tess and how they've focused on inclusive sizing, sustainable materials, and ethical practices. As always, I'll be leaving all of her links in the show notes, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited because I love Smash and Tess. So I really just want to dive into everything. But before we do that, I always love to ask what you're most looking forward to this week. Oh my gosh. Are you ready for it? Tomorrow is my birthday and I'm taking my one daughter who's old enough to enjoy it. My husband and my mom to Disneyland. Oh my gosh. I'm so jealous. We're in LA. So we're just, it's only a half an hour drive and I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite ride or what's your favorite thing about Disneyland? You know what? I took my three and a half year old for the first time a week ago. She's been wanting to go for the last year, but because of the pandemic, it's been closed and we haven't gone. And so I've always loved Disneyland because there's just something like so magical about it. But to see it through her eyes was so special. I I think I had a permagrin all day just watching her like (laughs) in complete awe and like waving to Mickey and Goofy. And like, so I think there's just this like child, like childish sort of abandonment that happens when you step into Disneyland where you get to just like play, you know? And so to see it through Frankie's eyes was just totally magical. I loved every minute of it. So we we came back. I I had actually said to her, I was like, we're going to Vancouver for the whole month of August. We haven't been home since the beginning of the pandemic. We're dying to go home. And so I had said, when we left Disneyland, I said to her, like, I don't think we're going to make it back, like until we come back. And then I was like, you know what, what am I going to do on my birthday? I'm old. It doesn't matter about me. (laughs) anymore. I'm like, let's, let's take the day off and go and play again. So last minute, this is what we decided to do. And we're pretty excited. No, that's awesome. I feel like a lot of people are probably so jealous because, well, I'm also in Vancouver. So my nephew, it's his birthday in October. And like the one thing he really wants to see is Halloween at Disneyland. So cool. I'm so happy for you guys and excited that you're doing that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'd love to get into Smash and Tuss and your background. So Are you able to give us a brief introduction of yourself, your background, and how you got started in your career? Oh my gosh. Like how brief, like, do you like, give us us the details. (laughs) We love the details and we'll get into like everything about smash and test too, but yeah, give us all the details. Well, the juicy details are that I was a teacher for 10 years in high school. 
school in English, musical theater, drama, and even um, I worked with um, at-risk youth uh, for a while and I loved every minute of it. But um, somewhere along the line realized that I creatively wanted more. Um, and I, you know, had never thought I could be an entrepreneur because that just wasn't something that I think my generation saw so readily available as we do now through social media. So, um, I never knew I could be an entrepreneur. And so, um, you know, late in my career as a teacher, I went and got my graduate degree. Um, I started, I went to the Condé Nast college of fashion and design in the UK and they had their very first summer intensive program. And that's where, I like to say smash and test is like business plan was born. (laughs) And then shortly after that, I actually took a corporate job and it was totally a departure. And I often say like, I credit that to like, I was able to really launch smash and test because I went this different route where I was consulting to an LA based company. Um, It was in the finance sector. And because I all of a sudden had freedom in my day, I was able to actually um, and I love to work. So I was working day and night and was able to really launch smash and yeah. test. <laughs> and so, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was teaching. Cause when you're teaching your life is governed by bells, you know, like you're not, you don't have any flexibility in your schedule or in your day. And so really smash and test was born out of a desire to, you know, where I felt there was a hole in the market. There was really an opportunity for clothing that were super comfortable, that were beautiful, that were well-made and made you feel a certain way about yourself, you know, hold your head a little higher. And this is kind of crazy to think about it. But in 2014, when it was conceived, you know, online shopping wasn't as big. It was there, but it wasn't as like robust as we see today. And so that was part of the idea was like, actually, instead of, you know, going the brick and mortar way, we actually wanted to put the power in the hands of the shopper and create a really great online experience. And so smash and test not only was, you know, the, the aesthetic and the mission there, but it was also the, the channel, um, which was a little unique at the time, uh, was to go direct to consumer. So, right. you know, a couple of years later and a good business plan and some great advisors and smash and test launched in 2016. And then I immigrated to Los Angeles. And so, uh, we brought on my best friend as my third. So it's my mom. She's the test. I'm the smash. <laughs> and then my best friend, Mercedes. So we brought her on. And then, um, when I immigrated to LA, you know, she became our director of operations and really helped get it off the ground there. And so it's been a wild ride. It's been five years. We've been in market now. I had, I eventually did quit my corporate job two years after launching smash and test. I finally was like, okay, I'm going to take the leap after I had my first baby. And I haven't looked back since. It's like, I'm living the dream. Um, yeah. And since then it's evolved, you know, like Smash and Test has evolved into sure. uh, really more like we call it the Rombo Revolution and movement where um, you actually like, it's at, I know it's a crazy concept, <laughs> but actually uh, can feel good in your clothes. And clothing doesn't yeah. need to be something um, so exclusive and something that makes you feel, you know, like that, that detracts from your self-worth or, and and so that's really, I think where smash and test has picked up steam is like, not only do we create clothing that is really meant to simplify the lives of busy women everywhere. And two, it make people feel included and accepted and gorgeous. And all of those things, I can't tell you how many DMS I get from people that are like, Oh, I'm going to buy that romper. Like when I lose 10 more pounds, I'm like, girl, you don't need to lose 10 more pounds. You're beautiful. And then yeah. it's going to fit you. And I bet you it will. And yeah. then having customers be like, Oh my God, it does fit. It looks beautiful. And I love it. And like, that is such a rewarding feeling. And I think smash and test has really evolved over the years to become more and more about that 
about that, that movement, about that feeling and that lifestyle and that community. Oh, and we also make really cool, comfortable clothes. Um, (laughs) So like, that's kind of like what it's evolved into. And so much of that has been because of the participation of, of our community. So it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a win-win when, you know, it comes to, to the clothing and the products that you guys put out because, you know, it's comfortable, but it can be dressed up. It can be dressed down. Like I hate the idea of like this, these shirts are my going out shirts. These shirts are my at-home shirts. Like, you know, you can have something that's so versatile, so comfortable, but like you mentioned, is for everyone. Well, how many, I mean, think about what women are doing today. Like women, we are so busy, like the layers upon yeah. layers of complexity that we deal with. And in, in a day, I'm sure, yeah, men have it hard too, but <laughs> I think women more than anything, like we are wearing multiple hats. So yeah. to get to wake up and just be like, oh yeah, I know what I'm wearing today. You know, like it's like one thing, check, done. I don't have to think about it. I just get to have fun and accessorize it. And, and I don't need to worry about, oh, I, you know, gained five pounds this last month. Are my hard pants going to fit me today? You know, like, it's like, no, my romper is my trusty companion. It's like, it will always fit. It'll always look amazing. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it is, yeah, just to one thing in my life that I can simplify and I'm, I'm happy. So, yeah. (laughs) You mentioned as well that you went to London, you, you had the, or you did the fashion program at Condé Nast. How has your relationship with fashion changed since then, especially since you do focus on sustainable ethical products and, you know, there are eras in the fashion industry where that hasn't really been the focus and it's definitely been changing over time. So how has your relationship changed? Well, I think like, I definitely think I put so much more thought into my clothing and like where it comes from and who's making it. I think that's been really cool. But I think like from the beginning, I, people like really, they matter to me. So, you know, whether it's the people in fashion tests, whether it's the community that we serve and the people making our clothes, I want to make sure that they are getting paid well, that they're treated well, that they're, you know, like there's nothing deceptive happening. And so I think early on, we felt just much more comfortable having local production because we were able to go in on lunch breaks and chat with them and like say hello and see how things were progressing and create those relationships. And that's not to say that there isn't a lot of value in offshore production because there is, you know, and I think, but I think it's more challenging because you really got to do your due diligence and ensure that because you're not there, you know, and so you don't get to often, you know, peek in and see what's happening in the factory where clothing is being made. And so I think when I went off, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed into fashion college, I think I thought I was going to be a stylist. I think, I think that's what I thought. (laughs) And I, or I thought I was like, I don't know what I thought, but I, I had this really romantic like vision of fashion. And I think Mm-hmm. as I went through the process of realizing what mattered to me and the kind of pillars I wanted to build my business on, the more and more I realized that like, I didn't have to sacrifice what ma- mattered. And for me, that's people, you know? And so, um, I think we, we created a model. It's a little different than a lot of, uh, fashion houses do things. And I'm like, I think in the beginning I've really found my footing. And I think, like, you know, when I entered the fashion realm, people were like, what is this thing? Like a romper? And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, like, I'm, I'm a curvier woman and I would go to these events where everyone was, you know, size zero, size two. Um, and I felt 
a little like it didn't belong. And I think fashion has a really crappy way of making people feel like that. And aren't we all kind of striving for this aspirational version of ourselves? It's like, how cool can we look? Do we fit in? Do we? Yeah. And so I think that's also evolved. Like since my time in London, where I was maybe not as sure-footed, maybe um, a little less confident, uh, you know, a little more critical of myself. And, And it's a constant daily battle. But what I recognize is that at Smash and Test, you have an opportunity to change that. And so um, now what's really cool is through, you know, community support, celebrity support, influencer support, Smash and Test has really fought their way to like being actually we are fashion and um, we can be in Vogue, we can be in Forbes, we can be in Women's Wear Daily now. And I think in the beginning, people were like, what the heck is this thing? Um, And and we branched out and diversified our product offerings and all of that. So that's helpful too. But I think we just have a different way of looking at things. And what I've realized is that you can, you know, like you, you don't have to fit into some mold. You actually can just create clothes that like looks actually amazing on all women, you know, like that's kind of the the plan. So our clothing should fit us and it shouldn't be the other way around. That's kind of what we set out to create. Yeah. I really love that because I feel, I mean, I'm not in the fashion industry, but the perception is that there are so many opinions, especially with, upcoming designers like there's almost like this working order of like it has to be approved by someone else and like who's to say what's fashion and what's not fashion that's something that I've never really understood about the industry it's absolutely true and that's why we set out to disrupt that because it's like before you know get this sort of like nod from Vogue or nod from it like this is okay yeah yes like yes okay this is fashion this is cool you know like (laughs) I think half of us spend our whole lives being like is that cool I don't wear that you know like why is that cool like I don't know but now I think so much of even the last year and a bit has taught us like we actually have so much power and control to like decide for ourselves what we want to wear and I think what's cool is we've totally shaken up the norms in terms of like what can we wear to the office or how do we like how do we show up every day and like you said we don't need to now like segregate our clothes into different sections of the closet to be like oh I can wear this here I can wear that there there's this huge crossover and I love that and I, I don't know I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know how it's going to shake out, but it'd be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how yeah. this has like a long standing impact on our idea of fashion and what we can wear. Yeah, absolutely. Wear, you know, I'm also really curious. And if you can take us back through, you know, the very beginning of smash and test, how everything came from concept and finally putting everything, you know, onto pen and paper and into production because the business strategy is focused on pre-ordering. And that's, you know, also a big part of your focus on sustainable clothing. Was that a difficult decision for Mm -hmm. you to make with, you know, going with the pre-ordering? Well, I think yes and no. Like we we knew from the beginning, we didn't want to like blow our brains out and create like all of this product that was going to sit and end up in a landfill. And like, so we knew like, we really were careful about the quantity we ordered in, in the beginning. And then- I think what happened was, is we created our first romper. People don't know this, but like we didn't actually launch with a romper. So uh, the the romper came in our first fall winter collection and it took off like crazy because all of a sudden we had, you know, Jillian Harris and other people supporting this romper. And so we very quickly were in, we sold out as soon as it got like, we sold out in a second and we were like, oh my God, what do we do? And so that was the (laughs) moment where we're like, either we just stay sold out you know, we, we, we figure it out or we figure out a way 
to fuel this engine by accepting a pre-order. And if we accept the pre-order, then it will help us also bootstrap our business, you know, fuel production. And we have a pretty strong sense right now based on website traffic, emails we're getting of how the kind of quantity we should create. So that's how it really started out in a very earnest way where we were like, we don't have the supply for the demand. So what do we do? And so I think that probably describes the entire smash and test experience to this point, which is kind of like blindly fumbling through (laughs) um, this, what feels intrinsically like intuitively correct. And maybe it's not, but like, I think learning to listen to what your gut is saying or think so creatively about things to problem solve in ways you never thought you could. And that's how I would describe you know, certainly the pre-order model we came up with. And sometimes it's, it's funny to listen to comments because I see it on social media and people are like, this is all a tactic, you know, like this is all a <laughs> scarcity. And I'm like, it's actually not like we launched our squirrel suit with birth yeah. of high on Friday and it sold out in five minutes. I had no idea, no idea. Sarah was beside herself. She, we were both like, oh my God. And people are so upset. And we were like, we didn't know that people were going to like it. Like we thought, like, <laughs> yes, there's a market for it, but we didn't know, you know? And so then yeah. it's that quick thinking of being like, can we get more fabric? Yes, we can get this much. Okay. Can we pop it into production? Yes, we can. Okay. And it's like this really a lot of thinking on, you know, and so we've kind of just adhered to that model where we're like, let's not create, let's test it. Let's see, like, is there yeah. a demand? And yes, it can result in angry people who are like, I didn't get it. And I was on at eight o'clock, you know, and I get it. Like that is so frustrating. And I, and we aim to delight our community. So that always is a huge blow for me because I hate disappointing people. But I'm also really believe that like, we do our best to gauge interest and it, and sometimes we get it right. And sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we make more than we thought. And, and then we've got to get really, you know, we got to hold on to it longer. And, and, but for the most part, we, we like to test. So we start with much less and then we see how it goes. And if there's a demand, we bring it back. And yeah, I mean, sure. You, you always think to yourself, darn, I could have like, we could have made more money. We left money on the table if we had created more product, but at the same time, it's something that, we believe in. And it's something that we're doing differently than a lot of other fashion brands. And, and we can, cause we make stuff locally. So we have that opportunity that a lot of other brands yeah. don't. And so we're going to keep it going. We're just going to keep down this track and, and it works for us for now. So, yeah, I think that's genius too, because you also, or you want to build a sense of longevity in your business, but still maintaining that community. And like you mentioned, it's, you know, it's tough when people, you know, can't get their hands on something, but at the same time, it gives you more opportunity to take in feedback. Like you, the last thing I'm sure you would want is to drop a line and like have a bunch of negative feedback on, you know, a certain aspect where you can launch and then change it right after and really just take in everyone's consideration. It's absolutely true. And I think that our biggest tool has been social media because we've been able to use it as a listening device, you know, to be, what did, what did you like about that? What was the color? Was the I sometimes go on stories and I put polls just to be like, would you like that? Would you get that again? Would you, what color would you like? Like, and that is a really unique opportunity that we created early on is that dialogue, you know, and that dialogue's not always easy. Like, you know, you're, you're accountable to your community. And when you open up those doors, like you hear the good, bad, the ugly, all of it, but it's all important information. You know, like it's all, it's how you frame it. It's like, don't you want to hear? I want to hear all of it. I want to hear, 
every bit of it so that I can do my absolute best, you know, moving forward to like create the best product, the best experience, all of it. So like, I, that's how I always, I'm, I'm grateful that someone cares enough to give me their feedback. It's honestly like a free focus group. Like people, the power of social media, it's wild. Like you can do that and you can take people's opinions with, you know, push of a button on stories. It's, it's It's not true. And I think too, like in the creative fields, it's not an easy thing to do because as, as a creative, you're thinking in your head, well, I had this vision of this. Like I had a vision of, I don't know, dresses and I wanted to do dresses and I have all these ideas and all. And, but actually the people don't want the dresses, you know, and you're like, you have to be, you, you have two choices, you know, one, you can be like, well, I'm going ahead with what I wanted to do. Or two, you can be like, well, no, actually like this isn't a relationship. Like this is a, this is a dialogue. So I, if, if like, I really want to create something for this community, then this is my opportunity to pivot, change, you know, evolve into what the expectations are and how I can meet those expectations. So it just depends on, but I know for creatives, it's challenging because you have this idea artistically in your head, you know? So I had to let go of that a long time ago. Yeah. And I think too, what I love about, you know, Smash and Tess is that, you focus on inclusive sizing. Yeah, It's definitely at the forefront of the company. And I'm really curious when it comes to the very, very beginning stages, like take us back to what it was like designing the sketches. Like what did those first few sketches look like? And did you get any pushback from others in the industry? You have to have patience with brands. I think it's expensive. Um, it's difficult. It's challenging grading stuff. And I think as long as you have that commitment, that it's really about the journey of getting there. And I think for Smash and Tests, we started, we had three sizes, I think, small, medium, and large. And I remember putting on the yeah. large and being like, this, oh, they don't really fit me that well. Like they feel a little tight. And like, I, don't, I was like, not. Yeah. And I think it was through that experience of like, how does this make me feel? And I was like, oh, this doesn't make me feel good. This makes me feel like really bad that I can't wear the same clothes that that Jillian Harris is wearing and look just as good. You know, and so I think from early on, I recognized in my own experience what that feels like. And the more I started to listen, the more I realized, wow, it's really shitty the way this is set up because women that are like a size, even 16, you know, to not be able to shop at the same stores as other women, like, like that's, that sucks. That sucks. Like to be like, I love that blouse and I actually can't buy that blouse. Like I have to go to an entirely different store. I have to have an entirely different experience. Um, And so, you know, I think over the years, we've just been really committed to it. Like it's been a long process. We're just rolling out 4X now. And um, every year, you know, like every, every season, it's like, what can we do? How can we make this more inclusive? And this is not like, check, we're done. You know, like by no means have we accomplished what we've, what we've set out to do, but we're on that track. And and that I will say like authentically, I'm so committed to it because I don't want anyone to come to smash and test and feel like they don't belong. Like that is what drives me every day is like, I would like Hillary Duff. It's like, I want a size 22 to be like, I can wear that exact same outfit. And guess what? I can look just as good, if not better than my friend Hill, you know? And I think that's what really motivates me is that we can all have that shopping experience and we do things differently. So for example, we don't start with extra small samples. We start with large. And so I don't know, I don't know if other brands do that. It's just what we do. So everything that gets created comes to me and it's in a size large. And so if it doesn't look good, 
on curvier boobs and a curvier butt and a cur- then I'm not interested. Like it's literally, that's what makes, it's like we won't move forward with that piece unless it looks great on all body types. And that is our philosophy. That is what we're committed to. And so it's definitely a different way of doing things, but most people's samples are all smalls. Ours are all large. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. But it looks just as beautiful. Yeah. You know, you see Hillary in a, du- in a triple extra small or Jill and she's tiny, you know, like, and they look just as beautiful. So it's, that's the goal is like, we don't need to separate out shoppers. We don't need to, but we still also, there's more to do, you know, there's always more to do. So you mentioned as well, like getting it. So getting it in a large, take us through like how, how long does it take to actually launch a product? Like what are the steps? How many like fit models do you guys have? Like how many revisions? Like I'm sure it's a long process. Yeah, I think so. I, I think pe- most people don't understand like that process because they're like, what? You, there was more. Why didn't you just make more? Make more now. And it's like, well, it's sometimes <laughs> with collapse, it's like you're starting a year and a bit and you don't even know. I remember the first cl- collab we did with Sarah, she went from like a hundred thousand followers to like a million. And it was like, when we planned the collection, we didn't know that was going to happen. So you're gauging your audience size and like how many, you know, so it's a long process, but generally speaking, you know, now it's different before it was Mer, Mer, my partner and I, my mom yeah. we would like pin things we liked. And then I would try to sketch them. And then we'd like take them to our pattern maker at our production house. And they would like kind of make something and we reiterate, like iterate on that piece. Now we have a designer in house. And so we do our inspo board. She will like create the whole story. There it goes to, we have an in-house tech pack maker. The tech pack creates the um, the tech pack for that, it goes off to our pattern maker and then sample development. And sometimes that sample will need to be tweaked. Like sometimes it's like magic and you're like, Oh my God, it's perfect. (laughs) Like it's ready to go to mass production. But most of the time it's like, no, it needs to be three inches longer. This pocket's sitting weird. We need to pull that up. So then, you know, that can develop three, four times prototypes. And then, um, and then we go into mass production. And then from there we produce locally so we can produce anywhere between, you know, six to 10 weeks is anywhere between that. And even sometimes when we're like, oh my gosh, we screwed up and we need it in a week. They can, you know, we have great relationships with our production houses and they can turn it around. But uh, the fabric is, you know, generally takes the most amount of time. So you're milling it and, uh, and, and that, that takes time, especially if you're doing custom fabrics, you have to get strike offs and see how those develop. So it depends. Like, I mean, I will tell you this, we pulled off Hillary Duff in record time, like from the mo. I would say, so we push, but we push go on production end of September and we sold in January. And like, that's pretty wow, insane. That's, that's the power of local production. Yeah. It was fast. But we, Hill was pregnant. Nobody knew that she could, we had to launch by January. I was like, we need to make everything happen. So like it, you know, it's an amazing thing what you can accomplish as a team, but overall it's, it's definitely, um, a challenging process. And I think it's one of the biggest questions I get from fashion entrepreneurs is like, so I have an idea. What do I do? Yeah. (laughs) Like, how do I take this, like, design idea and like make it a thing, you know, like, and I think, um, there's various ways to do it, but really it comes down to like having a strong pattern maker and a sample maker and, and letting them help you bring it to life. So who did you turn to when you were starting your business? Like, did you have anybody that, you know, really was kind of like your North star with helping you and, or just guiding you 
throughout the process? Yeah, I would say like my parents, I think like my mom was my business partner and my stepdad is what uh, has been an entrepreneur for a long time and was a lawyer before. And, and so I had enough people around me so that I knew how to make smart decisions in terms of like how to incorporate and trademark and all that from a fashion perspective. I always say you just have to like ask a million questions. And so uh, my other partner, Mercedes, like, you know, it was like, okay, we found this fabric supplier. So, okay, let's ask him like, yeah, does he know any production houses? And then, okay, let's ask the production houses. Do you know any other trims providers? And so like, you just have to kind of ask a lot of questions and eventually you kind of, you know, feel your way to a place where you can kind of get going. And obviously too, I I honestly do think that Vancouver is a really special breeding ground for entrepreneurship. I think there's a lot, especially women. And I think there's a lot strong network of um, women supporting women in business. And I think um, I owe a lot to my friends too, in that fashion and lifestyle space in Vancouver. So uh, a culmination of yeah. these incredible guiding forces in my life. <laughs> no, that's that's really great to hear, and I love Vancouver. Like I can I can say so much about it. So it's awesome that everything is local and that you've really had a great network behind you. Something that I really want to get into is, and I feel like it's always kind of a controversial topic, is ethical and sustainable clothing and how or the relationship that it has with cost. Because I feel as though a lot of fashion designers, you know, maybe they're younger fashion designers who are coming up, you know, in this generation that are very much focused on sustainability and being ethical, but maybe don't have, you know, the means to produce that clothing because it is a little bit higher of a cost. So in terms of that relationship, what have you learned from, you know, the past few years of making ethical clothing and sustainable clothing? And what would you have to say to young designers that are maybe at a, like a fork in the road? I mean, I think I I never like to preach and I think everyone's going to do what feels like really authentic to you. And I think so. So I think, you know, letting people sort of figure out what that looks like. I don't, I, I don't judge. I just know for me, you know, what I would say is like, I think that we, we do often think that because something is is sustainable it's somehow unaffordable and I challenge that a little bit because I've done some modeling in terms of what it would be to take my rompers offshore and do it there and do use a cheaper fabric that wasn't um based in bamboo which is pretty renewable resource um and so I've kind of done the cost comparison for sure it's more expensive I mean you're going to create clothing in, in a more sustainable fabric in locally where people are getting paid a little bit like properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, then it's like, yeah, it's going to cost more, but I have a very healthy profit margin that allows scaling of my business. It allows us to employ now 65 people. Uh, and I think that like there, that when there's a will, there's a way. And I think what's great is I've brought on an executive team now who they get that. Like, Everyone, I think, is accustomed to being like, oh, you're scaling? Okay, great. So now you're going to have to go offshore yeah. and like cheapen your quality and and pay people less money. And like that's literally the go-to for every single like fashion veteran. It, that's what they think has to happen. But I'm of the mindset of like, well, actually, and I'm lucky because I have a very amazing, experienced team around me now that all believe in this mission of like, 
we actually can do things differently and we're sure as hell going to try and it can be super profitable. Um, and it's like, you just need to be resourceful and you need to think outside of the box a little bit. And so we've got a little bit of a different model and talking a lot about scaling our model. How do you keep local production, local operations together? And what could that look like globally so that you're feeding the economy, the, the market, that you exist in. So maybe that's one day we do a similar thing in LA where we have an operations hub and we have a production center. And so they're side by side and that's feeding the US you know, group. So this, these are the conversations we have and we don't have it figured out. But I often, I think to myself, like, we don't need to fit some mold and we get to imagine a different model where we don't have to jeopardize our values and what matters to us. And so that's what drives us every day. And I'm always like, that's my number one thing is like, well, we're going to do it differently. Like we get, we get to try at very least we get to try to, to maintain what we're doing. And so I think people fall into a rhythm of something. And in this industry, people fall into this rhythm of like, well, it's easy. I'll just give it to this person. They'll produce it, you know, in Bangladesh, it'll be way cheaper. And it's like, Mm -hmm. but like, have you been there? Like, do you know? Like what, yeah. Like, have you seen it? And if you have fair, right. Like, I mean, there's a lot of fantastic, um, offshore facilities. Like there are like, I, I, that that's where I'm like, as long as you can invest in really understanding and knowing what those conditions look like and knowing that like you trust your partner. And so for us, it was just easier to be like, well, let's do it locally because then I can just go there, you know? Um, so there's multiple ways to achieve what you want to achieve ethically. And it doesn't mean you just go, Oh, well, you have to do what Ashley does and produce locally and use, you know, like you can do it in so many different ways, but I think as long as it matters to you, there's where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, yeah, I love what you're, what you're doing and the kind of mindset that you approach the situation from, because I think it's really hard to even being a consumer, you know, having that option of sustainable fashion and wanting to go that route, but it is a little bit more expensive, but then understanding why it's expensive because you are supporting the people that are making it, you know, the costs, the the materials when it comes to buying fast fashion. And again, I don't want to, you know, say, you know, if you buy fast fashion, you're not doing a good job, et cetera, et cetera, because I don't want to judge. But when it comes to fast fashion and what you've learned in the industry of clothing production, what's something that you would want people that are buying fast fashion to know? Well, I think, and this is tricky because I get that like not all clothing is affordable, but I also think like less is more in some ways. So like thinking about those like absolutely really timeless pieces that can be those pinnacles of your wardrobe where you can style in 50 million different ways and get so much wear out of it. Like, and then investing a little bit more, you know, if you actually, it's, it's not different than like, have you ever thought about how much money you spent on Starbucks and you're like, Holy, if I just like made coffee at home and I'd <laughs> stop buying $6 Starbucks, you know, times that by seven and wow, I probably could have, you know, afforded, X, Y, Z. So like, I think it's changing that mindset to be like, what are the things I can really invest in? Um, and it seems like more, but 
um, in the long run, you know, it's going to give me more wear. It's better for the environment. It's like, I'm actually not going to miss those fast fashion items because, yeah. you know, I got, and so, but I also don't judge because I'm like, everyone shops within their means. And so for sure. I understand too, that sometimes it's like, do you want to buy a $25 romper from old Navy? I mean, to each their their own. But for me, I'm like, well, imagine if you didn't buy that romper and then that other shirt and then that other thing. And like, then you can have something that would actually last you like five years and you'd get more wear. So there's always like a trade-off creative. And we do get that a lot because on, you know, people are like, why is it so expensive? Like I would never spend $119 on a romper. And it's like, well, I challenge that. It's like, well, you know what this is fair if you don't want to, but like, I also think that like you, you get what you pay for and you get to support local run business, women run business, fair and ethical production, like a sustainable, like think of all those things you get to support. And, um, and the hope is that you're really happy with the product. And so it was worth the investment and you're going to wear it over and over and over again, you know? So I think it's just that shifting of of mindset, but I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, uh, an ethics warrior and I'm out there. Cause at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm doing me yeah. and, um, this is what matters to me. And, and so I don't judge, you know, other people if I, I just trying to offer them a, a solution, um, and a way to invest in their wardrobe and make them feel good about themselves. And lots of times there's charitable tie-ins with smash and tasks, or we're trying to raise money or give back or do something good. And so I think if we can buy something and also accomplish all these other cool things at the same time, it's kind of a win-win for everybody, you know? Yeah. And I love to hear that. And I think a lot of listeners would also really appreciate what you had just said, because I think it's so easy for younger generations to fall into almost like a trap of like always having to follow the next thing. Like right now it's like the Y2K, Mm -hmm. like clothing is in and having to follow that. And then you go, and search for the most easily accessible piece of clothing. And most often than not, it's, you know, it is not sustainable and not ethical. So I love hearing that. Yeah. It's like, it ends up, you're like, Oh, that was a trend that's done, done. You know, like, it's like, (laughs) you're not wearing those, you know, anymore. And it's like, Oh, was that worth it? So you're always chasing something, chasing a trend. Yeah, exactly. I want to get back into starting your business and, the biggest learning moments that you you've taken away, you know, since launching Smash and Test in 2014? The biggest learning moments. Well, I think like, and I we talk about this a lot because I think it's what most entrepreneurs have in common is, is like, you know, there's like a fear that that you have when you're when you're um on your own, you know, when you don't have a corporate structure around you and safety and a pension and all of those things. And it's it can be like a really overwhelming fear that could paralyze you um, at the very least distract right. you. So I think like the biggest learning for me as a, somebody who runs on the anxious side and who is a very much a go, I'm a go-getter, I'm an overachiever. Um, I've had to kind of learn, and this is also a journey, <laughs> learn how to like reframe that fear And, um, so that it's not limiting, but instead it's, it's not only is it a moment of like, okay, this is good. It's like a self-actualization of being like, 
I am evolving yeah. because as I feel uncomfortable, that means that I am evolving. Um, but also letting that fuel you to do better, to do more, to like energize you because how exciting is it that you're, you're, you're living on this edge and you're pushing yourself every day to think as creatively, um, but as pragmatically as possible at the same time and leading people and giving them that energy. And so um, part of my biggest learning has been, you know, how do I reframe my fear and use it and acknowledge it as a catalyst for change, you know, instead of it limiting me and paralyzing me and, and frightening me from achieving all that I can achieve. And I, so I think that's like a day-to-day learning that I have yeah. where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so tired of being stressed out. But then I'm like, wait, but I actually love this. Mm-hmm. Like I actually love it. That is one thing I will say. Most entrepreneurs have that in common. It's like, are you up at four in the morning thinking about everything? Yeah, me too. Okay. So, you know, we all have that fear. It's a scary place to be, you know, it's a vulnerable place to For be. Sure. But It's hard, but you know, you're clearly so passionate about it and that's what keeps you going. So it's just so yeah. evident that as long as you have the passion and I feel like a lot of people say that like, oh, as long as you have the passion, everything's going to fall into place. But like really it is because if you have the passion, the support system and just that North Star, like it's, what else do you really need? It's tenacity. Yeah. It's like, I am going to keep pushing, you know, like there is a way out of this. There is a way to achieve that. You listen to the notes, but you don't really hear them. You keep going, you know, like, I think that's where it's like, yeah, sets people aside because everyone has little things they love to do, but it's like that true commitment to your goals is what I think sets aside an entrepreneur from someone who's just dreaming of being an entrepreneur. It's just, it's putting one foot in front of the other every single day. You know, and you know, over the years that you have been working on your company, what has been the biggest pinch me moment for you? Uh, so funny. I was, I, I can't remember. I, oh, I was, I was doing this interview like a couple of days ago, and there's been moments for sure, like driving to Hillary Duff's house. That's a pinch me moment. But yeah, to be honest, the biggest pinch me moment that I ever had, I was in LAX and a woman came off the flight and they happened to be with my mom and my business partner Mercedes. We were going somewhere for business and she walked up and she was wearing a smash and test romper. And I like must've been like, look like the craziest <laughs> person in the world. Cause I ran up to her. She was getting out of the gate. I was like, Oh my God, you're wearing a smash and test romper. And she was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm like, you don't understand. I'm like, I couldn't even form sentences. I was like, I'm in LA. Like you're wearing a romper. Like this is the romper we made. Like I was just having this full blown. And she was like, like she even, I never did win her over. I think she walked away from me. She's like, you're crazy. But I like, so those moments are the, uh, those are the moments where you're like, oh my God, this person woke up and decided to wear your clothes. Like this is like a huge pinch me moment. And I'm like every tag of people like on Christmas morning with their families or any holiday they celebrate or like birthdays and milestones. And I'm just like, wow, you chose to wear smash and test. And like, that is a huge honor. People, these are not cheap pieces of clothing. These are investments that people have worked really hard to make and they chose smash and test. And that is the pinch me moment. It's it's incredible. And I'm sure it never gets old too. Nope. It really doesn't like, I still like I'm friends, my friend Miriam from Brunette, like 
we'll send each other. I think she sent me a picture, but I'll send her a picture. I'll be like, that was Mark Burnett. I'll like take a picture of them on the airplane <laughs> and I'll text it to her. Uh, and she'll send me a picture. Be like, oh my God, I just saw someone wearing a Sunday romper. Like it never gets old, you know? It's just the best feeling. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'm excited to try Smash and Test. I, right after this, I'm going to order one. So I'm so oh, excited. Girl, we got to get you hooked up with one ASAP. Well, you know, I always love to end things off with the best piece of advice that you've been given in your career that you continue to take with you. I know you shared, you know, a little bit of your learning, but has there been anything that stood out to you from, you know, a previous mentor or somebody from your support system that's given you advice? Oh, there's a, there's a few. Um, the one I'm really feeling these days is um, be kind always with no exceptions. And I think maybe I'm feeling it because, you know, as you get, as you scale and you grow, you get challenged, you know, in ways where you're, you get frustrated or you get, and I think to lead with kindness is not, is a challenge. Um, but it's one that, um, I think will serve you well. And so that's what I, that's my North star. That's where I'm like, what feels right to me. And there's times where you want to go low, you know, but like at the end of the day, if I can walk away from my hectic day and go, you know what? I handled that in line with, with my values. Then I feel really good about that. And so sometimes it's not the easiest solution. And sometimes you want to stoop and sometimes you want to, but I think treating everyone respectfully and kindly, um, is really important to me. And I think it, there's, there's really ever no reason to waver on that, you know, everyone deserves that. So I think that's integral to my business practices. That's so important. And it's also, it's great to hear that from you as well. And, you know, I just wanted to thank you for your time because you're busy. You are always on the go. So I really, (laughs) we're all busy, but I appreciate you taking the time to sit down, lock yourself in your master bedroom (laughs) and really just share everything about smash and test. So I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. I feel like we just got to chat and that was really nice. So thanks for giving me that mental break today. I needed it. 